Pat, and while they're, while they're coming in, I just wanted to tell you the reason I didn't clean up out there when we went the other day. What? No. It turned cold, and they were about to freeze. When we left the house, it was warm enough to not wear a coat, and by the time we got there, Yeah, well, anyway, I just ought to tell you that. Okay, I think we're ready to begin. Um, um, the title of this message today is The Born Twice Mystery. The Born Twice Mystery. Um, we're, we're studying about Nicodemus. And what we're learning about Nicodemus is how profoundly ignorant he was, even though he was a he was a master in Israel. He was profoundly ignorant, and the truth is, uh, what was true of him is true of all of us. We're all profoundly ignorant. Some time ago, I brought a message in the. Emphasis in the message was out of Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, where the Lord said, My thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. And I have found myself thinking about that verse uh, extensively lately. Because what I discovered in that revelation concerning um, that verse, my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways, is how utterly and totally ignorant we are about God. We know nothing about him. And that's what that statement means. If, if he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, then that's what he means. We do not think the way he does. And if his ways are different, then what do we know about him? And the answer is nothing. We don't know anything about God. That's why this book is so important, the Bible. The least read and studied book in the whole world. And yet the most prolific publication of any writing there has ever been is the Bible. The Bible is everywhere. Um, and especially with the invention of the printing press in 1611 and what the Lord has done through the United States of America in publishing the Bible and getting it throughout the entire world. It's amazing. And yet with all of this publication, there is no source we're more ignorant of than the Bible. And the reason is because people read it and do not study it. Now I'm going to give you some things to think about this morning. I don't know whether it will be the first time you've thought about it this way or not, but I have thought about it a number of times over the years that I think will help us get into 
how profoundly ignorant we are of how God thinks and how profoundly ignorant we are of his ways. In order to do this, I want you to turn to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 15. And I want to show you something that will stir your minds about Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. How that we do not know God. We're profoundly ignorant of God. 1 Samuel 15. And let's just begin reading at verse 1. Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. And this is the verse I want you to think about. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman infant, and suckling, ox, sheep, camel, and ass. Now the reason I want to bring this to your attention is because I want you to think about something this morning. I want you to think about what Hamas just did in Israel. You probably have not seen some of the videos that have been put out concerning what they did. But they came into Israel and their, their, their view of the Jews is with such hatred. They were gleeful over the slaughter of what we would call the innocents. Little children, they chopped their head off. Suckling babies, pregnant mothers, utter destruction of the Jews. And so, with the publication of these things, the world has become incensed against Hamas because they would do such a thing. What kind of monster must Hamas be to do this to human beings. Now the reason I'm going to go into this is because I think that our responsibility as believers is to study this book and try to understand it in such a way that when somebody shows us something in the Bible that's very disturbing that very few people on the face of the earth would have an answer for, it's our responsibility to give an answer. And so we think of the Hamas as being monsters. 
But I want you to read what this verse says right here. Verse 3. Let's look at it again. Go now and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. And spare them not and slay both man and woman and infant and suckling ox, sheep, camel, and ass. There's not a pleasant way to kill people. And we're not given the details of exactly how all this was done, but I can tell you this, it was a slaughter. It was an absolute slaughter. But who's responsible for this? Now think about it. It's God. Now, here's what's going on in the world. And this is where we've got a big problem when it comes to being Christians and going out here witnessing the people and understanding why Christians are hated. Why are we hated? Why was Jesus Christ crucified? Why was he crucified? I don't think we fully understand why he was crucified. But I'm going to tell you why he was crucified. It's because what we read right here is really um, in the backdrop of the entire Bible. And that is the hatred of man for God who believes him to be a monster. A monster. I'm telling you, when the thought came to me back some time ago that the Bible is the scariest book I've ever read, that what it says is a horrifying message, and it is. I mean, when the Bible talks about what we deserve, when it describes what we are by nature, we are monsters of iniquity, and nothing short of it. The kind of monsters that would crucify the Lord of glory without a cause. And as we've noted here lately, the Lord loves us in spite of us being monsters of iniquity. He loves us without a cause. Because there's nothing in us that would cause him to desire us. But there was nothing in him that we would desire him either. That's what Isaiah 53 says. Now think about it. There was no comeliness about him. There was nothing about him that appealed to us. Absolutely nothing. As a matter of fact... As Paul said, have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? And the Lord came and told us the truth, and he was despised and rejected for it. When the Apostle Peter was giving testimony concerning the crucifixion of Christ by the Jews, he spoke about how Christ went about doing good. That's the way it's worded. He went about doing good. He'd go into all the cities and all the villages and heal everyone 
of all their sicknesses and diseases. He would do all this. And yet he was crucified without a cause, without a reason. And so there was no comeliness about him that we should desire him, but there was nothing about us that he should desire us either. We killed him without a cause. He loved us without a cause. And so what's interesting, and this is what I wanted to show you by taking you to this, to this verse. God's view of us is the truth. We're monsters of iniquity. Our view of him is totally wrong because his thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways. God is love. And he did not come into the world to destroy the world. He's not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. And he's doing it without a reason. Because of the way we are. We are truly the monsters. But man in his nature views him as a monster for reasons like this one right here. And you're going to run into people out here in the world that are going to turn you to a verse like this. There's some sharp cookies out there. And they will bring you to this verse and they'll say, what is the difference between your God and Hamas? Because he's, he's telling the children of Israel to do the same thing to the Amalekites that Hamas is doing to the Jew. So let me ask you a question. What would you say? How would you get out of that corner? How would you explain that this is righteousness? This is holiness? Well, I think one thing I would do is begin by saying God himself said that his thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways. We know very little about God, as a matter of fact, nothing apart from this book. And so what can we discover from this book that will help us to understand? Well, the thing that came to my mind as I was struggling to come up with answers that might maybe make some inroads in people's thinking um, especially when it comes to killing little babies, suckling babies that are still feeding from their mother's breasts, slaughtering them? Well, let me give you a reason so that you can understand God's thoughts and his perspective of how deep this horrible message from heaven is concerning you and me. I don't know what your view is of snakes, but I do not have a good view of snakes. I have always been afraid of snakes. 
If I see one, the first thing that comes to my mind is killing them. I don't like snakes. If snakes bite you, you can die. They're scary. I think part of the reason that snakes have that impression upon us is because um, what the Bible says about snakes. What the Bible says about that old serpent, the devil and Satan. How did the serpent beguile to Eve in the Garden of Eden? And all throughout the rest of the scriptures, like Numbers chapter 21, where these snakes just started crawling around all over everywhere and biting people, and they were dying. Serpents. And so Moses fashions a serpent out of brass, the shape of a serpent, and put it on a pole and lifted it up and said, okay, if you will just look at this serpent on the pole, uh, you can be saved from the snake bites, from the poison venom of these snakes. And so they could look and live, as the song goes. They could look and live. That's all they could do is look. They couldn't do anything but look. Because it's not by works that we're saved. It's by simply believing what we're looking at. And that is that Jesus Christ died for you and me. Folks, we're that bad off. We're that bad off. We've got a condition we can't do a thing about. He's the only one that can do anything about it. Okay, now, I brought up the subject of snakes for a purpose. Because I want you to understand, uh, if you were to go out into the woods and you were to see a snake crawling along, you would be alarmed. But what if you came across a nest of them, a whole nest of them, where the eggs had just hatched? and they were water moccasins, they were copperheads, what would you want to do? Would you want to kill the little babies? I would. I'd want to destroy every one of them. I sure would. Because little snakes become big snakes. This is the message from heaven. Killing little babies is no different than killing a full-grown person. Any more than killing a little tiny snake that's just getting ready to come out of an egg is any different than killing a full-grown moccasin that's several feet long. There's no difference. The Bible says that a person is born from the womb speaking lies. Speaking lies. We're corrupt from birth. That's what the Bible teaches, from birth. And so when we read a verse like this in 1 Samuel 15, 
where the Lord says, you go in there and you kill everything. Everything. Men, women, young, and suckling. Kill them all. This is God's way of teaching us something about the extremes concerning this message from heaven. Folks, I'm telling you, it's horrible. And anybody that tells you otherwise does not know what they're talking about. The situation that we have in this world since the Garden of Eden is one horrible situation. And it's so horrible, it's unbelievable to people. They can't believe it. And so the world has a completely false view of Christ. They don't mind that God is love. They don't mind John 3.16, that God so loved the world and so forth. But the world does not want to know what it meant when he actually hung on the cross and died in our place because he was suffering what we really deserve. When the Lord went on to explain in John's Gospel, chapter 8, ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. When Moses crafted that serpent to hang on the cross, we must understand that that serpent was first of all representative of me and you. Because he was dying in our place. So the incorrect understanding of that passage is not Christ the serpent in the primary sense. If you want to understand the primary sense, you have to understand substitution. He, was, he became a serpent on that cross, having taken the sin of us, the real serpents, and dying in our place. We are the serpents. We are the serpents. When you understand these kinds of things, when you really understand God's thoughts and why he would tell um, Saul to kill all of the Amalites. The Amalites were a, a type of the whole of humanity without Christ. Snakes snakes and it doesn't matter if they're little tiny snakes or if they're real big snakes if they're little children or grown men and grown women they're still all snakes whose mouths are full of deadly poison that's what James said in James chapter 3 our tongue is set on fire of hell that's what James said. James was the Lord's brother, half-brother. And he said this about us. 
that our tongue is set on fire of hell, that our, 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 our tongue is a deadly poison, a deadly poison. That's a description of a snake, of a snake. And it doesn't matter if the snake is this long or if the snake is this long. Still a snake. We've got a nature problem. It's how we're born. And from birth until death, that's what we are in the perspective of God. Serpents. This is not the kind of teaching that causes your church to grow. It isn't. One of the reasons we've got a lot of empty seats in this church on a pretty regular basis is because the world does not believe what you're hearing this morning. They do not. They're not going to believe it, and they're not even going to hear it. This is the kind of teaching that will cause you to be despised. But I'm going to tell you once again, it's in the book. It's in the book. And some of these people, one of these days, are going to get you over in a corner, and they're going to take you to this verse over here in 1 Samuel. Um, chapter 15. And they're going to take you to that verse and they're going to show it to you. And they're going to say to you, how is your God any different than Hamas? You say he's a loving God. And they're going to say to you, I think he's a monster. That's not the kind of Jesus I'm going to believe in. So I'm going to go to a church that teaches another Jesus, not that one. Not that Jesus. I do not believe in that Jesus. I'm going to worship another Jesus. Now, folks, there's not another Jesus. This is the same Jesus that was talking to Nicodemus that inspired Samuel to write 1 Samuel chapter 15. It's, there isn't but one God. There isn't but one Lord. There isn't but one Spirit. There's only one Christ. There's only one Spirit and one Gospel. And the whole Bible is the Word of God. But it's not appreciated. And so when we start studying here about Nicodemus and how he was a master in Israel and he was in the dark, he didn't know anything. And I think most of the people that go to church today are in the dark and do not know the Jesus of the Bible. Now, this kind of teaching, as far as I'm concerned, magnifies the love of God. It doesn't diminish from it. It magnifies it. 
And the reason it magnifies it is because the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. And it's true that this is the light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. So what's going on here in 1 Samuel chapter 15? There comes a point where the hatred of God and hatred of the truth is so great, there is no remedy but death. Death. And this is the message of the Bible. It's the message of the Bible. And you see it in Genesis chapter 3. The Lord Jesus told them, In the day you eat thereof, ye shall surely die. At the cross of Calvary, they were looking at him and saying, In the day that you say these things, ye shall surely die. And they crucified him. And so you've got two sides. You got the side of Christ and you got the side of man. And the hatred toward one another is unto death and nothing short of it. There's no halfway in between. It's total. God doesn't love a certain amount of us. He loves none of us in terms of our nature. Not one thing, not one thought can we bring to God that is not his thought that he would receive or appreciate. Not one thought. That's why we need 100% of the mind of Christ. 100%. We have to die to everything that we think and everything that we want. We are lovers and worshipers of self. That's what we are. Lovers and worshipers of self. And you can't mix it up in such a way that this message right here um, is an appreciation for some of our thoughts and some of our ways. It's not. The message of this book is God does not accept any of our thoughts or any of our ways. And so when Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ, that was his way of saying, God accepts nothing of what I think and nothing of what I can do. Nothing. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. How much? 100%. 100% of his mind and 100% of his ways. And folks, a person that does not believe what you just heard does not know the message of this book. And I'll tell you that. Do not know it. When Jesus Christ died for me 
on the, Cal on the cross of Calvary, he died for 100% of everything that I am. And I'm a monster of iniquity. That's what I am. And that's what we are, all of us. Monsters of iniquity. We need the life of Christ in his perfections. And the only way you can receive those perfections and be like him is to receive his life in exchange for our life. And he took our life and suffered the death we deserve on the cross of Calvary. Do we really understand this? And so I'm telling you, I, the reason I'm going into this is because I feel like that our ministry, not just mine, but ours, our ministry, is being able to defend the unrevocable integrity of the person of Jesus Christ. And when somebody comes and takes a verse like this one, where the Lord is saying, you go in there and you kill, all, kill them all, kill everybody. What are we going to say that might give somebody a little understanding of why he would say that? Folks, the message of the Bible in the New Testament in the Lord's uh, Sermon on the Mount, chapter 7, he said, wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth unto death, and many there be that go in thereat. You know what the destiny is of the vast majority of people on the face of this earth? It's to burn in hell forever, with no possibility of getting out. I'm telling you, there are people in this church that have had conversations with me. And I've told you about one, Peter LeBret. Until his dying day, he struggled with how God, who he believed to be a loving God, would devise an eternal plan that would work out that way for the lost that they would actually burn in hell and it be literal fire forever, forever. I'm telling you that those kinds of thoughts translate in people's minds in such a way that God becomes a monster of iniquity and not man. That's scary. The message of this book is a horrible message, but I'm going to tell you something. That's what it teaches. I don't think there's anyone that I've ever met that I appreciate that could sit down with me and say, what you're saying is not in the Bible. 
Because if there's anybody that does not want it to be in the Bible, you're looking at him. And I know of no way to get around, thus saith the Lord. This is what he says. It's in the book. It's in the book. So that's the first thing I wanted to start with this morning because we're studying John's Gospel, chapter 3, and Nicodemus is totally mystified by this being born twice thing. He doesn't understand that. How can a man be born uh, when he's old? Can he enter into his mother's womb a second time? And be born? He, he had no clue. The reason is because Nicodemus is a, really a picture of most uh, professing believers in the world. And that's what the Pharisees were. They were professing believers. Lost as they could be. Nicodemus was not saved. Jesus Christ is telling him, okay, you're a master in Israel. I know all about you. But you've been ever learning and you've never been able to come to a knowledge of the truth. What was it that he didn't understand? I'll tell you what he didn't understand. It's right here in the book. He hated God. He hated the light and didn't know it. And if we're not careful, we'll be in exactly the same condition. And we'll go start reading the Bible one day, and we'll come across 1 Samuel chapter 15. And we'll say, I, I don't really understand God, why he would do that. I mean, he didn't give these people a chance. He told Saul to go down there with the, the army of Israel and to kill everybody. And most people can say, will probably think, well, I think it would have been fine if he just said go in there and kill the men and maybe some of the wicked women. But the young and suckling babies, why would he do that? And so our thoughts are not his thoughts. And our ways are not his ways. Why do you think God put that in the Bible? I'll tell you why he put it in there. Because he wanted his people to understand how serious the horrible message from heaven is. How serious it is. It's serious beyond imagination and the question is what are we doing about it what are we doing about it what are we supposed to do about it well I think one of the things we're supposed to do is prepare ourselves so that when people come to us and ask a reason of the hope that is in us we'll be able to give it to them with meekness and fear Meekness and fear. An answer to every question. 
with meekness and fear. I thank God for Calvary Memorial Church because I think of myself as a, a person that was so vulnerable to what other churches do believe and teach. And, and sad to say, I, I do not believe. I'm telling you, I, I know you get tired of hearing it, but I do not believe there are many churches that you'll ever be able to go to where somebody is going to put their finger on the verse and say, okay, do you understand what this means? Do you understand what this means? Well, the Lord put his finger on a verse for Nicodemus, essentially. It came out of his own mouth. He said, marvel not that I say unto thee, you must be born again. He didn't have a clue what it meant. And so the Lord explained it to him, what it meant. Your present life, with everything that you have tried to do to make yourself acceptable to God, is totally rejected. That was his testimony in Nicodemus. Up to this point in your life, all of your Bible study, all of your good works, all of your learning, everything about you is on its way to hell forever. 100%, 100% of everything that you are as a personality that's your situation right now. And the truth is, Nicodemus, you've never really studied carefully what's in the Old Testament. Well, he had access to 1 Samuel chapter 15. He had access to it. He had access to Isaiah 53. He had the Psalms, like Psalm 22, I think it is, the Psalm about the crucifixion and what the Lord was going to suffer when he was upon the cross. Suffering in our place. Why would he suffer in my place? Did I, did I do something that I should deserve suffering? When Jesus Christ died on the cross, what's the depth of the meaning of all of that? Well, I'll tell you what the depth of the meaning of it was. He would have to pay an eternal price. Why would he have to pay an eternal price? Because hell is forever. And only God, who is eternal could pay the eternal price and span eternity because he is eternal and actually literally suffer eternity. 
as us. But because he's, he's God, and the grave could not keep him, he raised himself from the dead because he is life. He is life. And on the third day, he raised himself from the dead. He sure did. And that message is, if we put our faith and trust in him, 100% of the reason why he became that serpent on the pole. Because the truth is, we are the serpents. It's our mouth that's full of deadly poison. It's our tongue that's set on fire of hell. It's our hatred of him, the light of the world, and we hate him. And that's what he told Nicodemus right here. Look at verse 17 of John chapter 3. For God has sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. He's not a monster of iniquity. He would have been absolutely justified in condemning the world, but he didn't come to do that. He came to save us. But that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned. What does that con condemnation mean? It means burning in the lake of fire for all eternity. That's what it means. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name that is the Savior of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Now think about who he's talking to here. He's talking to Nicodemus. And he's, he's telling him his true situation about him as a person. He's saying the truth is you love darkness. That's the question we need to ask ourselves this morning. Can we honestly say that we love darkness? What is darkness? I'll tell you what darkness is. It's a description of every person that is living according to their own thoughts. That's what darkness is. This is the light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. God wants us to believe his word. But men are ever learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Why? Why are men ever learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth? Because... They do not like this truth because it's not what they want the truth to be. And so we're going to spend our time ever learning, trying to figure out another answer to creation. And so far we've come up with Darwinian evolutionism. And that has stuck. It's in our schools. Darwinian evolutionism. We don't need God to exist. We evolved. 
ever learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Why? Because man hates the idea that there's a creator, that there's a God out there, because if there is, if there's really a God out there, then what is that going to do to what we think? I'll tell you what it's going to do. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. We're going to realize the truth of the words. We don't know a thing in the world about God. We do not know his thoughts. We do not know his ways. We do not know God. The whole Bible is a revelation of his true identity. The whole Bible. And we have to believe every word of it. Every single word of it. And we need to study this word until we see the truth of every word of it. Every word of it. This is why the message from heaven, I say to us all, is the scariest message you will ever think about in your whole life of any horror book you could ever read. This is the most horrible message you will ever think about in your life in terms of what we are and what we deserve. The gospel message cannot begin to break forth the gospel, the good news, until you begin to enter into, till we begin to enter into his thoughts and his ways. He is so good. I just love to say it. He's so good. The personality of God is incomparable. There's none to compare it to his love. I mean, who can we love in our present nature that despises us? You ever tried it? You ever had somebody to say something about you that offended you? Or you didn't want to be around them anymore. Well, I'll tell you what. I offended Christ for 26 years. My life was an offense to him. My thoughts and my ways were an offense every day. And he continued to chase after me. Why? Because God is love. And he loved me without reason. When I was yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for me, an ungodly human, an ungodly person. And that's what I was. But that's what we all are, ungodly. And yet Christ died for us. Who can compare to that? No one. I'm telling you that the glorious gospel message cannot really be understood until you plow the field pretty deep and break up the fallow ground of the human heart. It's got to be plowed, broken up, a broken heart, a broken and a contrite heart he will not despise. But it takes that, it takes that brokenness for that seed to find its way 
to where one day, like Nicodemus, he goes back and he starts thinking about it. He starts thinking about it. I'm sure that he probably tried to figure out a way that it was not true, but he couldn't figure it out. And before it was all over, without the Lord Jesus trying to get him to join his band of disciples, Lord Jesus walked off from him, left him to himself. With words that normally would cause Nicodemus to become an enemy, an enemy, because of what he said. To many of the Pharisees, he did become an enemy. And they crucified him. They killed him. Nicodemus became converted and eventually joins up with Joseph of Arimathea and goes to Pilate and they request the body of Christ. And here comes Nicodemus with spices. And Joseph, understanding the death that he died, buried him in his own tomb. His own, he understood it. He understood the horrible message from heaven. They did. They understood it. Nicodemus got saved. He sure did. But I submit to you that the reason the vast majority of people will not get saved in this world is because when they read the Bible and they read those things that they don't like, then they start privately interpreting it until they can get another Jesus that thinks the way they think and will approve of their way of living. And if it's drinking socially, if it's uh, looking at the bad stuff, cracking a dirty joke every once in a while and enjoying the laughter, that's the kind of church they want, is that kind. A comfortable church, comfortable church. Well, our time has gone up. We'll, um, we're gonna come back to chapter 3 again I hope you do not think of these messages as too much of a rabbit trail because I'm telling you these are the kinds of things to me that make John chapter 3 and that situation with Nicodemus more understandable more understandable so George, dismiss us, brother. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. And we thank you for these thoughts. We pray, Lord, that you keep them in our minds and help us to have a biblical foundation for the answers that we have to, to hear. I know that in this time when there's so much deception and there's very little light, you've given us an opportunity to know and be able to speak to those so that they might understand we pray, Lord, that you'd be with the speaker that's coming and that you'd be with the service.
help us to be a testimony and witness for you as we go out. We thank you for all your grace and your mercy in Jesus' name.